0: The idea behind a deepfake is that it creates images that strongly resemble a certain subject, usually a person, that isn't actually them. But I'm not talking about some kind of cheap, obvious Photoshop job that involves cut pasting your head onto a weightlifter friend's vacation photos. Instead, deepfakes can be nearly indistinguishable from the real thing to the average human eye, thanks to the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning.
1: Welcome to this week's When They with Fab. I'm Ed Chin. I'm John Stone. Back with us for the first time in this incarnation of the program, uh, one of our favorite guests, the queen of all Beatles media, Kid O'Toole. Hey, Kit.
0: Hey, Ed. Hey, John. Great to be with you.
1: (laughs) Waves of applause. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First off, thanks for mentioning uh, the re-relaunch of the show and your column in the latest Beatle fan.
0: Oh, of course. Happy to do it. And I'm thrilled to be back in the new incarnation. And I always mention to people that Ed is responsible for naming me the queen of all Beatles media. (laughs) I always clear that up because people tend to think that Ken Womack did. No, not true.
1: It was Ed. (laughs) Ken's book is out, the, the Clapton and Harrison book.
0: Yes, indeed. Yep, it uh, just came out, and it's doing quite well. I forget what number it is already on, on Amazon for music biographies, and but doing very, very well. Can't wait to dig into it.
1: Yeah, I'm about somewhere between a third and a halfway through it, so I'm going with the audiobook, although I do have a physical copy of Yep, me too. Saving your eyes. Well, it's also much easier to drive and listen at the same time instead of trying to, uh, oh, read. (laughs) But uh, the one thing about the text, you can tell what Ken wrote and you can tell what Jason Kruper wrote. They have very distinct styles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Yeah, I'm I'm sure.
2: I would think it would (laughs) be tough to write a book with someone. Because everybody has a different voice. Mm
0: Mm-hmm that's true although i i think they would complement each other very well because yeah, jason we had him on talk more talk some time ago when uh, phil specter died and he came on to talk about phil Spector's production style and everything boy he really knew phil's production style backwards and forwards so i'm sure that part of the book he really could dig into it pretty well and and he has that terrific podcast. I wish uh, he said he too wishes he had more time to do more uh, episodes of it. I think it's Producing the Beatles. I think producing that's, the Beatles, yeah. Uh, very good. Really knows his technical stuff. So, yeah, I, I would think he and Ken would really complement each other pretty well. But we're, we're having both of them on uh, Talk More Talk in the very near future to talk about the book as well. So, uh, yeah, so looking forward to digging into that.
1: So the other thing that came out this week, well, the physical copies of McCartney 3 Imagine came out this week. CDs, vinyl, multiple different colors. Right. They they released a a pink vinyl version and a a pink cassette. (laughs) You you know, we talk about excessive. I think he's hit excessive on that. (laughs) Lots of threes
2: floating around in McCartney's life these days. I don't know. Does that please the completist or frustrate them?
1: Probably both.
2: (laughs) And at the beginning of the year, do you have to to look at your budget and go, well, I've only got $3,000 to spend on the Beatles
1: this year? (laughs) (laughs) The the sad thing is that's probably a low number. Even if you don't don't (laughs) include uh, deluxe editions and, uh, you know, Uber Uber boxes. It's like just going for the the midline, you know, the nice copy, but not you know, not the bottom end, not the top end. You're still going to be over three thousand dollars in any given year.
2: It's kind of amazing. I I fear that I've I've collected my son's college education away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So in conjunction with the physical release. Paul and Beck and some friends got together and created a new video for Beck's version of uh, Find My Way. Yes. Yes, they
0: did. And
2: I I enjoyed it very much, actually. I thought they did a, a great job at entertaining. And I always liked Beck's stuff anyway, so.
0: I agree. I'm a big Beck fan too, and and this was one of my favorite tracks off that album. Actually, I I liked his, I mean, my only disappointment was I wish they had done an actual collaboration. I would love to hear what they could do together. Agree. Uh, as far as the video goes, I'm going to be a little bit of a party pooper here. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to say. I although I watched it again today, and it's growing on me a little bit, but it, it's fun. I you know it's it's harmless, <laughs> but uh, I don't know the deep fake thing. The creepy factor just kind of uh, <laughs> is distracting to me. I, I don't know. There's just something about it that just uh, rubs me the wrong way, I guess. I don't know. Um, you know, it, I just find it a little distracting because the song is so great. And the, and, and Beck's remix is, is a lot of fun. And I love that bass line and everything. And, and I, I just think this is so kind of gimmicky that it takes away from that but you know and and as i said the whole deepfake technology just just kind of gives me the creeps <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> just right. really... well but,
1: but the deepfakes aren't going away i, I mean, know i know uh, you know the, they went and they worked with a company hyperreal digital according to their website they specialize in the creation of hyperrealistic digital avatars hmm so, I'm going to go in the middle. I'm not overly creeped out at it, but I'm also don't think that the lightness they got off of the digital, I guess it's supposed to be a 64, mid 64 yes. Paul. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's all that great of a lightness. Be- no. You know, they had to accommodate the fact that Beck's head is a completely different shape than Paul's.
2: Right. When I first saw it, you know, you obviously know it's not Paul McCartney because he's not that age. But I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Right. And just knowing that Beck was involved, I thought, oh, OK, so is that Beck, which is revealed eventually? In a way, I connected it because of the dancing in it with Paul in uh, My Ever-Present Past. Which I mm. thought was really cool, mm. and there was just kind of a, a thing. There was a connection there for me. Thought it was a good job, so I'll be on the other side and say I was actually quite, quite pleased by it.
1: And you will note that the one clip that they did not include in their "Look What's Coming Tomorrow" is Paul doing "Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance." <laughs> you know, if you're going to have McCartney dance clips, right? He released it, but he's embarrassed by it. Yeah. We'll have to pull all all of the
2: Paul McCartney dancing, you know, all those videos. There's something from Broad Street, and and uh, we'll have to put them all together. Watch Paul dance.
0: And it was cute that they had the cameo of today's Paul, Of actual the, Paul. In, yeah, come yeah, the actual of... Paul in the background. That was that was cute. You yes. know and it was sort of a blink and you'll miss it. But it's it, that yes. was that was fun.
2: In fact, I did miss it until, you know, Paul sent me a. An email. A a
1: thing, look for me. Yeah, text. On his uh, his text, the the Paul bot, as I like to call it. Wait, wait, he wasn't texting me? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to completely rethink this. It it was the guy in the video who was texting you. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. I think they did a real good job with the technology, but it was within its limits because normally deep fakes, you know, the problem you have with them is the eyes don't look right. And if you look at the eyes, that's a a real good job with the eyes that they inserted into this digital figure. Mm -hmm. Right. They're
2: they're just things that pop up. I mean, like just briefly the mouth wouldn't look quite right or the, you know, as you said, the back of right. his head wasn't quite right, and you know, but but it was just like brief glimpses and enough to let you know that it wasn't real clearly.
1: Um, well, and that that in only in places does it actually really completely look like Paul, right? What, what I said online was, uh, "Oh, they're they're making a young Mitch Weissman."
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you said that, I'm like, "Yes, that's it."
1: It's amusing. Uh, You know, I guess I'm glad they did it. I don't know whether it's good or bad, what they're working toward. They're clearly working toward doing something with certainly the McCartney digital image and quite probably the whole Beatles as a digital entity. I mean, are the holograms next? Oh.
2: Well, here comes that album I was looking for.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. I, I just... Don't know. Although I was I was actually thinking about it. Um era McCartney hologram might be kinda cool. You know. Starts out with the nineteen seventy and you know it it's like a McCartney tribute, but done with the holograms. Oh with the different members of wings and you know
0: that's just oh. that's
1: my thought on yeah. the matter.
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> oh my, my god. I mean my that's the only way you're gonna get
1: Paul and Linda back.
0: Oh my god. Wow.
1: It makes your head oh, hurt.
0: Oh no! Yeah, I I wrote an editorial years ago. Remember when they had the Tupac hologram at Coachella years yes. ago? Yeah, I was writing for a site called Blog Critics at the time, and I wrote an editorial about it about how I was just so appalled. I yes, I mean, fine, it was technologically impressive, blah blah blah. But I mean, it was just to see people cheering and and applauding. Right. Nothing. That just I, really again creeped me out in the right.
1: extreme. So nope There was a Buddy Holly hologram tour not that long ago. Yep.
0: Well, and I just read there's going to be a Whitney Houston hologram show in Vegas, a residency.
2: I think what's next Ugh. is is people speaking at their own funerals.
0: <laughs> I mean, where does this end, you know? <laughs> Oh. I just like
2: I just like to say a few words about myself. And <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, and now that I'm dead, the truth comes out.
0: Yeah. I hated all of you. <laughs> yes.
2: <now. Yeah>. yes.
0: <laughs> Especially you. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Knives out.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Then, as far as the rest of the video, I, there there are bits and pieces I liked a whole lot. I actually liked the end right before he walks through the door. You know where there's, there's that serious disco vibe to <laughs> to back. It, 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 you know, it's it's the background and the colored lights and the stars, in it is like well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was trippy. And then the other thing is, at the very end, when you walk through the door, look closely. They The digital mask is intentionally sort of bubbling at the neck. <laughs> they clearly did that to make it look like he actually is pulling off a mask there. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. I'll look at that again. Yeah, it's not this sort of big effect, but it's like, I was sitting there looking at it, it's like, well, wait a minute, that looks a little bit different. And it's like, oh, once he pulled it off, I get what they were doing.
0: Yeah, and when you look in the background in some of the shots, there are other kind of people in the background. I mean, there are like things to look at, you know, going and, on. You know,
1: psychedelic and, and bits different. like the the plants just growing around him, and yeah. yeah, you know. Anyway, so okay, we're we are of three different minds about this clip. Then, but we've yes. covered
2: it. We've covered it all, though. We've gone from yep. not, not that great to wow, really good. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So, so the main topic we've got uh, on board for this week, uh, parts three and four of McCartney 321.
2: And it gets better all the time. You know, I think these two shows were, were fabulous.
1: Uh, let's see. The, the titles uh, of these uh, two episodes were The People We Loved Were Loving Us and Like Professors in the Laboratory. So, uh, part three starts with uh, some tracks of back in the USSR.
2: Yes, and the first thing I noticed was Paul kind of soft pedals the uh, uh, drumming on back in the USSR.
3: For some reason.
2: As if it wasn't any kind of big deal that, you know,
1: perhaps Ringo asked me to do it.
2: (laughs) And I think it was a little bit uh, more than
1: that. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It's like... uh, I maybe maybe I was showing
3: Ringo what I thought the drumming should be. Mm -hmm. I think, and he might have said, "Well, you do it." He might have also said, "Well, you do it."
1: So you played drums on this?
3: Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. (laughs) The emphasis on the as he throws the sticks on the
2: ground and walks. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, there were numerous times where you just thought, "I think Paul's retelling the story." Yeah. <laughs> In a bit of a different way, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know,
2: I think overall, Paul likes to just believe it, it was all pretty good. I mean, he, he acknowledges that there were some rough spots, but he really believes it was all pretty good. So he tends to kind of go past some of the really rotten times.
0: Yeah, well, and and yeah, you wouldn't expect him in this episode to say, you know, yeah, that was the time that you know Ringo stormed out of the studio. I mean, yeah, he's not going to to do that, and and this is true throughout these episodes. You know, it's it's interesting to see him listening not just as Paul the Beatle, the musician, you know, but kind of as a fan too, which is interesting to
2: that's, to uh, yeah. That's really my favorite part about it is that he just listens with such appreciation and it's not about his ego it's just wow isn't that good
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
1: enough time has passed that he can think about it as a separate entity although uh, one thing i want to mention while they're playing around with the faders on back in the ussr paul throws in those russian clips that he's used before i think they they showed up in the in the get back film the concert film it's like uh, why do we need this, Paul? <laughs> you well, know, I, co- I, I, communist I, Russia I, and uh, lots of big fuzzy hats and yeah. uh, Brezhnev with the big eyebrows. It's like, uh, Paul? <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I had
2: these clips in my closet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes,
0: back in the USSR, we got it. It's Russia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for a new
2: audience, they don't know USSR that's history.
1: Well, I mean, maybe that's what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking that, you know, there hasn't been a USSR in 40 years, you know? Right.
0: No, that's true. That's a good point.
1: Maybe by showing these clips, we're going to get these kids to go back in the history books. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I think, you know, the song has lost the, uh, the aspect of Paul in writing it, even though he talks about how he was kind of, there were, inspired by Chuck Berry's back in the USA, there was this thing about, well, the, uh, the people in Russia are just like us. He wants to get home. He wants to plug the phone. He wants to, you know, just have a good time in his life. And that was a cool thing to, to say at that point, because, you know, in America, everybody in the USSR was the enemy.
1: Right. Well, and that would in fact cause some people to, uh, uh, imply that there was something untoward going on behind the scenes with the Beatles. And it's like, uh, well, wait a minute. The communists hate them more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. The communists uh, make the kids press records on bones and, and x-rays. Yeah. So, yep. you know, the, the ridiculousness of the religious riot at even at that time, okay, they move on from there. There was clearly something cut because there's a reference to practicing 10,000 hours and Paul mentions the man. Before the first record, though, yeah. how many hours did you play yeah. together?
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. At least 10,000, Yeah, according to
1: the man. Obviously, he's talking about uh, Malcolm Gladwell and his book Outliers.
2: I figured it was uh, Mark Lewis and...
1: <laughs> now the thing is, uh, Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell actually co-host a podcast called Broken Record. Huh. Oh, so, you know, did not know that. Here's Malcolm Gladwell, Rick Rubin, and Bruce Springsteen. I figured that you know maybe they were talking about that, but it's like, well, we don't have time for that. So,
2: right. It could be. You know, that was actually one of the things when I read Lewis's book was he really kind of bears down on that point that you know by the time the beatles were becoming famous they clearly had played more rock and roll on stage than anybody in the world up to that time regard i mean even the founders of rock and roll had played that many hours and so that was a huge part of their whole palette that they could use they've been playing for thousands of hours
1: which then leads into a story he's told, you know, several times. It's like, oh, well, we, we got a chance to actually sort of move up the ranks going from going from clubs to theaters to all this and that. And It's like, well, that's what these kids on these uh, shows yeah. like uh, American Idol don't get a chance to do. Right. Right. You got to practice in a garage.
0: And, you know, even though he's told that a thousand times, I mean, it's true. I mean, it is true. You know, but I mean,
2: then he turns around and tells the, uh, we got to have the number one record in the United States before we go, and, uh, I, and I'm thinking, you know, that story has been so discounted that it, we'd all know it's not
3: true. So I remember taking Brian Epstein aside, saying, Brian, I said, we can't go to America until we've got a number one record there. We've got to wait. Mm. And we did. We waited and waited, and it didn't happen until I want to hold your hand.
1: Yeah, I I think he tried to backtrack a little bit on it. He says he's not saying here that it was in Paris that he said that. He just said that it was at some point before that I pulled Brian aside and said that, that we can't go to America until we got a number one record. Then, okay, maybe he did say that, and Brian just ignored him.
2: Yeah, because yeah. you have you also have to look at the fact that every one of their records was released in the United States. It wasn't like they weren't trying, you know. They yeah. they, they were putting out the, the singles here. They just weren't going anywhere. And again, the Ed Sullivan contract was put into place before that went on.
0: Yeah, exactly. So when I was making my notes, I just put not true, Paul.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Ed and I both <laughs> mentioned that Paul is not a great bearer of. What happened? It, he he only sees a bit of the story himself. Yeah. Because I'm sure he doesn't pour over Beatle books and go, I didn't know John said that. Or, you know, I mean, he <laughs> was just kind of living his life.
0: Sure. And so
2: he rem- remembers it from his perspective and, and not the whole Beatle thing. I mean,
1: he does. Knows- Although he did apparently go through revolution in the head with a red marker, and it's like, <laughs> yes. no, no, because, because he sent it back. He sent it back to the author with these annotations, and it's like, okay.
2: And they, did the author sell the book on eBay?
1: <laughs> well, that I
2: don't know. <laughs> and then I think they talk about.
3: We were in Paris one time playing the Olympia in Paris when uh, back at the hotel when a telegram. The old-fashioned email came through. From Capitol Records of America to Brian, he came running in the room. hey, hey, look, you're number one in America. I remember that to the minute when when Paul told me about it. I walked into their suite after one of the shows, and Paul comes leaping out of nowhere like a lunatic, jumps on my back, shouting, we're number one in America, Mal, can you believe it? Just, I mean, I can't describe, we just, (laughs) we all tried to jump on big Mal's back. (laughs) You know, that was it. Like, we just didn't come down for a week. And Brian rang me around uh, about half past one in the morning. He said, uh, I know you won't mind being woken up. I said, well, I wasn't asleep anyway. He said, well, I've just heard from America. We're number one. Fantastic. And he said, do you want to come round? No, no. So we went round and had a great drink up. And that was a party night. It was lovely. Super. We never went to bed that night. It was a great feeling because... We were booked to go there directly after the Paris trip, so it was, you know, it was handy to have a number one.
1: This was kind of a new retelling of that. The old-fashioned email, I like that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've all seen those pictures of that night. They were having fun. Yes. Uh, Brian with the uh, pot on his head.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the most famous pictures from that (laughs) night.
2: (laughs) And as I understand it, it's a good thing there aren't other pictures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay, th- then we get into the meat of this episode where, you know, they're talking about some of the people that they've run across. He's actually a little bit uh, reductive on Little Richard, I think. Did you ever get to meet any of those guys?
3: Richard? worked with Richard in Hamburg. Really? Yeah.
1: What was that like?
3: It, incredible. Yeah. You know, for young kids from Liverpool. It is so great.
1: It was a whole TV hour on its own. You know, considering of how big an influence Richard was and how all the n- really nice things he said in the past, you know, maybe it's just how it got cut. I thought the evangelical take was, okay, really.
2: Richard does speak in, in that way. You know, I mean, and mm-hmm. the clip that they used of him. You know, he has that that meter and, uh, and he talks in in phrases that are complete in themselves.
3: It's, it's not, it ain't the size of the ship that make you seasick. It's the waves in the ocean. It ain't the man that run the fastest, but the man that endure to the end. So I know that if water fall on a rock long enough, it's breaking.
2: You know, I, I can see the evangelical aspect to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. But yeah, I wonder, uh, Ed, same thing. If if there was some stuff cut there, because Paul has been very effusive about Little Richard and uh, in the past, and and I mean, of course, he had a huge influence on uh, on Paul. I mean, <laughs> he will listen to any of of the early Beatles stuff, and I mean, it's you know, incredibly obvious. Um, I remember the last day of term. You were allowed at school.
3: you were allowed to bring your guitar in. So I kind of. It's like in one of the movies, I stood on the desk and did Long Tall Sally. Well, because it's your range, isn't it? Yeah. Incredible range little Richard has. Same as Paul. And um, yeah, that really blows me away. So you did Long Tall Sally? Yeah. That, yeah. Richard was a character, man. Great. Back in the day. Oh, Beautiful he still guy. is. He used to do that steaming thing, you know, with the towel over his head. Yeah. He'd do that to get his voice going. I used to, I'd do that, actually, before a show, copying him. He'd do that. Then he'd look up at the mirror. he go, I'm so beautiful.
0: <laughs>
3: I can't help it. Because I'm so beautiful. He'd go, yeah. And off he'd go on stage, you know, yeah. building himself Whoa. up. Yeah, that was wonderful, wasn't it? Did you hear the little steaming the story there? Yeah. <laughs> that was fabulous.
0: So, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting that he didn't say a little more.
2: Yeah, didn't you say it was fifteen hours originally? I
1: mean, yeah, there, there's supposed to be fifteen hours of tape here. Yeah,
2: so here. wow, so a lot, lot more got cut.
0: And who knows? You know, maybe they said, "Well, he said a lot about Little Richard in the past." So that was also when they
1: first met. Billy Preston was in right. Hamburg with Little Richard, so that's true. Yeah.
2: Well, you know. Billy was George's friend. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. Th- then we move on to Babies in Black, and Paul can't speak highly enough of the song.
0: Pleasantly surprised in-, in a way that they featured this, um, you know, because it isn't talked about quite as much. Um, and I, you know, because I, I love this track, and not, and not all fans.
3: We started to just write for ourselves, and figured that the fans would listen to our uh, extension of what what we wanted to write. So we did, and we got into kind of more sort of slightly different things. This being three, four time. And we used to want to do this on stage. It wasn't a big fan favorite. Maybe hard to dance to too, because of the it would be hard to dance. But the harmonies are great, and
2: it the was words nice. are really least, good. It's
3: very evidently.
2: Yeah, but is it weird that he says um, that that they had to fight to get it on, and yet they they played it for years? I mean, they played it 65, 66.
1: Yep.
2: You know, so it's just like I never thought in all the the concerts I've heard or anything like that that it was. Anything other than a choice of the the music they
1: Well, okay, so two things about that. The live clip that they use is from uh, Germany, the Circus Krone show from 1966. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about harmony. It's just so amazing that live, when they couldn't hear each other, John and Paul are still in perfect harmony.
0: Yep. When you sent me that clip and I was watching it again, that's exactly what I was thinking, how they could hear themselves.
2: I don't understand that myself. I have one of the first bootlegs I ever had was uh, the double album of the Sam Houston Coliseum concert. And that afternoon concert is almost flawless. I mean, they hit everything. And Baby Booty Black's on that, too. You're hearing all the screaming, all the stuff. They
1: get it all. And then the other thing, which is actually kind of funny, Ringo had clearly lost his place in the song. He keeps going with the bass drum, but his hands are just sort of waving around yeah. until the, the other three actually move around. He's like, oh, I know where we are now. And then he <laughs> go, comes in with the drums.
0: That's he funny. covered it fairly well. He
1: clearly had just lost himself and couldn't hear the other guys. Says so like, where are we in the song? And I guess
2: they heard it too because <laughs> they
1: gathered around. <laughs> Well, I think they also, you know, normally made some movements on, around on the stage. It's like, oh, okay, so that's, we're going back in there. And, you know, John and Paul are back around one microphone, so we're going back into the chorus. So I know what happens once we start here.
2: You're right. Over the years, uh, I've been tickled how many times Ringo talks about having to watch John's ass to know oh, where
1: yeah. he was. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You look at all the video we have, it's amazing that he doesn't lose his place more often. You know, I've seen this video dozens of times before. I've never noticed it. And it's like, you know, you watch it here in isolation, it's like Ringo's not playing anything other than the bass drum. You know, <laughs> he's going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and his hands are just sort of up in the air. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing amazing. that he just never—he didn't lose his place more often since he couldn't hear anything, right?
2: Yeah, I think the next thing that that got my attention was the fact that they briefly discussed the release schedule that they had, and McCartney seems to think that their release schedule was one album a year, and they never put out one
1: album a year. Yeah, well, at least not until '67. Well, '67
2: had Pepper and. Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the Magical Mystery Tour wasn't an album, was it? It was <laughs> no. it was an EP, a double EP, but. Right. Now only, only for us here in the cakey. States. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a double
2: Actually. EP, a double EP <laughs> and then Hello Goodbye, and All You Need Is Love, and I mean, all that stuff. So. You know, they did,
1: all right, they all right, did
2: all right. two LPs. <laughs> Worth of material, but... Uh, right. And then the Beatles' <laughs> double album was two, and mm-hmm. you know, including you know, the amazing part of the fact that they were also almost separately churning out these amazing singles that weren't all the albums.
1: Right. Yes, someone had said, you know, in the 60s there were singles bands and there were album bands. The Beatles were one of the first that were both. Both,
2: both. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't really get it that much in the United States because the United States, the singles were always on the albums, but we had a lot more albums. So.
1: <laughs> okay. So we move on to, uh, to, and I love her. He tells the story that he told on, uh, the George Harrison living in the material world, you know, that it needed something at the beginning. And George came up with the intro,
0: right? Right. I think that was a, another nice part of the series that, in, in different episodes, they talk about the contributions of, of each one of them to the Beatles. Like they talk about Ringo's drumming, and you know, and then they'll talk about George's guitar playing, and and on. And then they'll talk about you know John's unique rhythm guitar and you know i mean i i think it's great that they did that you know included talking about the unique characteristics and and, and musicianship of each one of them um so i was glad yeah i mean that i really really enjoyed so just as an aside
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i i've enjoyed the fact that something i hadn't even really thought about but you know as as musicians paul said in a previous show that they all knew the same chords when one learned a chord, they all learned a chord. And so that was, I think, why they connected so much. They basically were drawing from the same well. And so when they do, and I love her, and George switches to the little picking style during the verse, he goes, Yeah, well, yeah, because well, he knew the chords and he would be able to do that. And
1: transpose it up and yes. and, and you know right. play, play basically the same thing he did in the intro but in a different fashion for the rest of the song right all right so next is roy orbison
2: yeah we'd get through a whole series of the, you know people who they have memories of and who made an impact on them you know i didn't realize that roy orbison wrote woman with, with the Beatles there,
1: basically. Well, the famous story is that uh, he, the whole reason there's that yeah, yeah, yeah in there is because of She Loves You. You know, pretty yep. woman, right. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: We were supporting Roy Orbison. Mm. I think he'd always written his stuff. But a very favorite memory of mine is uh, we were on the tour with Roy, and we stopped off somewhere for a cup of tea. Roy stayed on the bus, and remember John and I coming back on the bus afterwards, and they're sitting at the back of the bus with his guitar.
1: There's Roy, there's a pretty woman, Yeah. yeah. And Paul has previously mentioned that, you know, watching him do that was some of what got uh, him and John to write in the fashion that they did to come up with songs as quickly as they did. It's like, well, if Roy can do it, you know, we can do that. Right.
0: Yeah. And I also like that. Paul said that all of Roy Overson's songs had these great endings, <laughs> these dramatic conclusions. Right. And that Paul learned that from him as a, as a songwriter and all. I thought that was a great anecdote. Yeah. And
1: it's not something I'd ever thought of, you know, the, the early songs, the please, please me's and, and the, she loves you's and the, I want to hold your hand. They do all have these big endings.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. Is Years ago, I wrote a, an article for a Beatle fan about Beatles' beginnings and endings of their songs. Uh, because, you know, I'm just talking about how they did carefully think these things through. And so when I heard that little nugget in the show, I thought, aha! <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was right!
1: <laughs> so then it moves on to the kinks, which is a little bit weird because I'd always kind of felt that there was a little bit of animosity between the kinks and the Beatles, you know, there's that, the, the famous review of revolver where where he kind of trashes it. The Davies.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I don't know about the reciprocated feelings, but Ray Davies has never been very complimentary of the Beatles from several standpoints. He has a terrible story about John Lennon, um, being an ass which was probably true it's like andy
3: warhol he became his art um i wouldn't call him a prick i'd call him um, sort of stubborn i think of like a sort of a, a stubborn older brother i don't think of him as, as anything else
0: really? and you
3: love and hate those people you can't deny the, the lovely songs he wrote and the passion in the lyrics well, like, and, if, and if and if he's an asshole in real life, so
2: what? I like the songs, but uh, you know, he just never has been very complimentary of. Well,
1: and, of and the John Beatles. has also made some nasty comments <laughs> back the other way. John could clap back like nobody else. To have Paul come out and, and mention the the show, and that was of course before the single had actually come out. So yes. they were playing it live, and, and the Beatles were were seeing it, and they had n- would not have heard the song. And so they were standing there in the wings watching it. And, the, you know, this song came out. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah.
0: This is one thing about the series that did frustrate me at times, that they would have this uh, a moment like this, but then they'd kind of cut away from it, you know, really fast and go on to something else.
3: We were due to come on the second half, and they did the first half. We all kind of came out to the head a bit so we could watch them, you know. You you really got me You got me Good little
0: song And then that was it And I just thought, what about it? (laughs) Tell me more What? Well great, good little song Well what, 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 you know Tell me something And then they just moved on And there were some other moments like that Where I just thought, oh come on There's got to be more than that This is a perfect example
2: Yes, and I I think I have read, I think I've read, that uh, what Paul was amazed at was the uh, distortion throughout the song. Mm. It's just really distorted sound. But I would have liked to have heard a lot more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, especially since what is cut is in favor of another version of the Hendrix story.
0: Oh, when he started in on that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I could stop the tape and tell you the whole story. Come on. Well, they're,
1: they're, yeah, there's one thing
0: about that. So
1: he's, you know, what he says is he says, oh, I, I saw him when the club was kind of empty on a Thursday night. And then the next Tuesday, you know, everybody was there, Pete and Eric. And But what's recognized is Hendrix's first performance at the Bag of Nails was on a Friday, so it's like, uh, okay, what? Well, and that was also the show where the celebrities were all there. So it's like, did he play a show before that Paul saw that wasn't advertised, or or what's the deal? But but the blue plaque that's actually on the side of the bag of nails uh, specifically mentions the date of the first show. And it's like, so so what's this Tuesday you're talking about, Paul?
0: Yeah, that was a new detail. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was a lot. But I'm just saying that that
1: detail may be uh, something he pulled out of his uh, head.
2: You know, with those kind of stories, the specifics, what day it was, what date it was, you know, can be easily forgotten and whatever. But the story of hearing him plug in and the noise and then. Yes, that, that sort of detail rings true to me. Like that that's definitely a memory of his, Um, whether it was on a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever. I don't know.
1: If I really had to guess, Hendrix may have done two sets that night. And you know, the first set there weren't that many people around and, and, and maybe Paul was there. And then the second set was when Clapton and Townsend and everybody else showed up. That would just be my guess. But I mean, history does record when the first show happened and it's like, and he didn't play three days later.
2: You know, maybe Paul wanted to be the guy who discovered him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but as we just mentioned, the monkeys discovered him first. So, <laughs> and, and Little Richard before that. So,
2: um, Well, no, Chas Chandler from the Animals, who is, his, who is his manager, was fully connected with that whole scene. You know, you would think that some talk was around.
1: Okay. So then we move on to Lucy. And, and one little thing unrelated to 321 Apple has just put out the Atmos Pepper, and I've been looking for that. It's not in the box set. The 5.1 mix is in the box set. We can now actually have access to the Atmos version, which is the version that Giles Martin is the most proud of. Hmm, interesting. And all you need to listen to it is is a pair of AirPods. The AirPods will do the whole surround sound for you.
2: Huh. So, oh, nice. Okay. So how much is that going to take down my $3,000?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that box was less than a hundred bucks i think oh <laughs> you know that was the 80 yeah so <laughs> but i mean the, the fact that it's available as part of your apple music subscription if you subscribe to apple music is like oh well that's kind of cool right uh, and this is the first time that the atmos mix which we had seen at the time in theaters they'd actually released that to movie theaters when the anniversary was going on,
0: interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: So
2: anyway, so, when, so they, I, when they're playing, when they're playing "Lucy in the Sky," my favorite moment win he's they're playing a vocal track, and, and his voice yeah. completely shatters
0: the high,
2: high,
3: high harmony. <laughs> I, 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 her down, Rick. This, this is why we don't. Go into tapes. That's beautiful. Ah! It's beautiful. It's <laughs> beautiful.
0: That, that was, was a great, great. moment. Mm hmm.
1: <laughs> and, and Paul being remarkably honest. These lyrics, you know, the kaleidoscope
3: eyes. It's sort of straight out of Alice, almost the Cheshire Cat, mm-hmm. who's you know vanishes. The caterpillar smoking his big hooker. Yeah, and it was a head job. You know, yeah. it was like the truth is everyone was getting stoned. Yeah, and it was intentionally a sort of fun album for the high times. Yeah, it worked.
0: Yeah, I thought yes. I'm Like wow, and when he also being honest there.
3: You know,
2: talking about the, what we talked about a couple of uh, podcasts ago, uh, he said, "What well, I wrote it down it was a fun album for high times."
0: Uh,
1: and then somewhere in there he also tells the story we're all familiar with the julian story and the drawing and
0: yeah lucy
1: and diamonds and stars and so forth right damn it you better believe this story (laughs) yes so Uh. then we move on to to dear prudence there's a neat little bit of editing because we're coming into it paul is talking about the maharishi and they show some film of the maharishi then they cut to rick rubin rick rubin is a double for the maharishi yeah
0: i was gonna and, say yeah, he's got a little
1: smile right yeah,
0: he's, he's got yeah looks like a guru and
2: he's a dedicated follower to tm
3: the power of nature is such that
1: it's what all art strives to be The more we can get in tune with the harmony of the planet, the more our art can benefit from that relationship.
0: Now, one thing I thought was really interesting was when Paul mentions that the Beatles had known of the Maharishi when they were kids. And I thought, really? uh (laughs) Yeah. um
1: Lewis mentions that in, I don't remember if it's in the uh, regular version or the extended version. He actually has tracked down when the trip was and has seen some of the footage.
3: Yes. Mm -hmm. This is the inaugural lecture by His Holiness Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, delivered at Guildhall, Cambridge, on the 7th of November,
2: 1960. He had made a excursion into England
1: before spreading the message. And then apparently he was also in Germany during one of the times that the Beatles were there. Not that they ran into him or or heard of him, but uh, that was kind of uh, interesting. And and for another diversion, uh, we were talking about Milord, the Edith Piaf song. It turns out that it was the number one song in Germany for 1960. So there's no question why the Beatles heard of it. Yes. I thought that was really,
2: really cool. You know, he, he recounts the story of, Everybody going to Prudence Farrow's room to coax her out. And, and he said, you know, John was strolling with his guitar. And in my head, I kind of put that with the story of Donovan teaching them how to play in the style of that picking. Right. And, you know, I just can imagine John practicing that as he walked along and then approaching Prudence, and then he opens up with these lines.
1: <laughs> we do have that <laughs> clip of John walking around, and that's probably what Paul is thinking of. Again, it's a case of the film footage's influence, his memory. Right. You know, walking around playing the guitar on on the ground. Right.
2: Well, it, it may have been a habit of his walking around with the guitar. Could, could be. Another thing from Prudence that I was amazed at was when they uh, solo the bass track um, and they're yes. talking about the effect on it. Because, you know, that very clicky sound.
3: Yeah, I, I like to do that. You know, we use a pick and you get that very treble end, but then you get the bass as well. Yeah.
2: Well, all my life I thought there it was two instruments, that there was this bass and then there was some sort of cowbell or something because it has a tone.
1: Yeah. To find out that it's just something he's doing with the pick. Yeah. And the EQ. That was really pretty amazing. And then, of course, the the big revelation, the big long held note. It's like, wow, how in the world could could these guys do that, considering how much they smoked at that point in
0: time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was c-
1: cigarettes
2: too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was an incredible moment, and and that is, uh, you know, and I'm sure you guys have discussed this before, but really, this is. Part of the, you know, highlight of this whole series is, you know, these isolations. And this is a, just another great example of why these isolations are so fascinating. I mean, hearing that note, I mean, that was just... yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the chills go down your spine when you hear that. And as you said, how they held that note. I mean, they were that long. And, and as you said, with all the smoking they did, that's even more impressive. I think we would like, you know, that was like a challenge. <laughs> See yeah. the sun in you a sky can sky hold a
3: note high high that long? <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, it was just, you know, it's like you wanted it to go right through. We could have stopped it halfway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking a breath. Yeah. Only. But it was like. It's like mischief. No, you know. Let's try and see if we can hold it. So it was like, (gasps) yeah,
1: (laughs) you know. And that would have been you, John, and George singing together, probably. Yeah.
3: Typically. Yeah, that's that high notes, me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I remember that. We would do that. It was like, it's so long. Sorry. Yeah, but you can do it. We can do it. No, we can't. It's too long. Yeah, yeah. Let's try it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and you're playing around. Yeah, it's fun, you know. So you're pushing yourself. It was great.
2: I have to confess that I guess Paul set me straight, but I had always thought that they recorded it at a faster speed and slowed it down.
0: Oh, because you would the, think that, wouldn't you? Because, I mean, because
2: the vocals themselves yeah. are pretty high. I don't know. It's just, uh, that's what
1: I thought. Okay. Then the episode closes with a bit more chat on on meditation. He talks a little bit about getting his mantra, and, and that was kind of new to me. So, uh, repeat it to me, then don't ever say it again. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and then good old optimistic, happy Paul. A lot of our influences were really good. Spiritual meditation. You know, I think it's had a good effect on the world. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. And then, <laughs> then they close with, with Doe Eyed Paul doing Hey Jude. It's like, what does that have to do with what you just said? Oh, well, okay. I won't question
2: it. It's the mantra. <laughs> That's what the end of Hey Jude is. It's kind of this big mantra.
0: I mean, yeah, in that we all, you know, sing na 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 together like kumbaya. You yes, know?
2: <laughs> yes. Ed, once before you mentioned, you know, their, their choice of film clips and. It was funny to me that they picked my, actually my favorite part of that film clip, which is when Paul goes into that part, John actually misses the first part of his harmony and Paul's looking at him and John kind of looks over at him and raises his eyebrows like what? And then, you know, he, he comes into the harmony, but it's a little flub up and there's an exchange between them just, you know, in their expressions.
1: Yeah, what what didn't John have a song? The the music's in the mantra. It'll give you all the answers. <laughs> right. Well, this episode's long enough. But keep an eye on your feed. Our review of McCartney Three Two One Episode Four will be winging your way very soon. Thanks a lot, everybody. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at whentheywasfab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by J. Young Kim, Beast Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
3: I, I said to people, you know, who are into meditation, I was very lucky because I got my mantra off Maharishi himself. Directly. So I feel kind of privileged, yes. you know, that we just there at that time. He basically said, uh, I'm going to give you a mantra. Mm. It's in our ancient words. Um, and they, why I would give you these words is they've been tried and tested. So I'll give you your word, and I would like you just repeat it back to me and I, if it's right, I'll say yes, and you don't ever say it again. So he told me, and I repeated it back, and that was it. Yeah. And I used that mantra, and we continued, and um, it was good. i tell you one thing, there's sickness going on, and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they've got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.
1: Turned up nice again.